Hello all. I hope this finds you well. I imagine that none of us plan to be fasting from seeing people for Lent. And if anything, probably many of us plan to fast from some social media or technology of some sort. Um, And yet here we are, me talking into a screen and you listening to this on some sort of device. Perhaps not the fast that we chose, but the one that we've been given. I'm going to talk today about the topic of lament, and I've been thinking about this topic for a long time, long before coronavirus or social distancing were familiar words. But our present condition seems to make this topic even more relevant, so I'm looking forward to sharing these words with you today. Please pray with me for a moment, wherever you might be, before we begin. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would use these words to bring us all more life and life abundant, that you would open up our hearts and minds to think about the things in life that are hard and bring them to you. Would you use ordinary things like phones and computers and speakers in holy ways to increase our connection with one another and with you? In Jesus' name, amen. The season of Lent gives us space every year to engage with God in a new way. Just as during Advent, we talk about the theme of waiting and longing for the true King, During Lent, we spend time waiting and longing for true redemption and resurrection, and remember the promise of a future world made new. We sit with the heaviness of our sin and the problems of the world. We turn to fasting and prayer for renewed intimacy with God. The anticipation of crucifixion and the heaviness of the cross gives Lent a darker and more sorrowful tune. But the anticipation of resurrection saves us from a season of pure darkness and reminds us of beauty and light. Lent finds us caught between sorrow and despair on the one hand, and joy and hope on the other. And that, I think, is a pretty accurate representation of the tension of human life on earth, caught between darkness and light, between sorrow and joy. Today we're going to look at Psalm 13 and what it has to teach us about this topic of lament and how it can guide us through the end of Lent and perhaps also process life with coronavirus concerns. So I'm going to read Psalm 13 for us, and if you have a Bible nearby, go ahead and take it out and follow along. Psalm 13 reads, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The Psalms give us language for all different seasons of life. Joy and worship, strength and courage, and also longing and lament. If the songs, Psalms could be broken up, into different types of music from the 90s, they would be pop, R&B, and indie rock. And if the reference to 90s music makes you feel either old or young, then I challenge you to pick any decade or even century, and I bet you would be able to divvy up the different musical genres into similar categories. And even if you were to narrow it down to one artist or group, he or she often has a mix of songs that range from more upbeat and joyful to something more reflective that provides inspiration or strength, to something more sorrowful or angry. The first concert I was allowed to go to without an adult chaperone was to see the band Green Day. 
and in just one evening, they sang songs with lyrics that ranged from reflections on love, for what it was worth, it was worth all the while, I hope you had the time of your life, to loneliness, my shadow's the only one that walks besides me, to anger, I don't want to be an American idiot, one nation controlled by the media. I can still remember their lyrics. My teenage heart, mind, and soul were totally hooked. There was nothing so dramatic going on in my own life. But in those songs, I was connected to the communal experiences of love and loneliness and anger that felt like necessary parts of being a teenager. The Psalms, similarly, are songs of humanity. Their themes are timeless and reflective of the human condition. They can both express our own emotions, but also connect us to the experiences and emotions of the broader community and invite us to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Psalm 13 takes us on a journey of lament. The Oxford English Dictionary defines lament as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. One third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament or sorrow. One third, which is probably quite an accurate representation of our experience of life. At least one third of it is full of tough stuff. But though the Psalms are timeless in so many ways, there will come a time when we no longer need to sing or pray the Psalms of Lament. In the new heavens and the new earth, scripture tells us there will be much singing, but the occasion to sing or pray Psalms like Psalm 13 will have passed. Psalm 13 is a Psalm for today. We live life on earth in the tension that life is really hard, and yet we are offered the comfort that Jesus is going to come. Psalm 13 gives us language for this journey that we're on, and that language of lament is a gift from God. The Ark of Scripture and God's people is full of these types of journeys and tensions. The Israelites wandered in the desert, wondering where their God was, trying, with varying degrees of success, to hold on to the promises of God. There was war, famine, exile, death, floods, fires, disease, barren wombs, unjust leaders, loneliness, and a searching for home. But wait, am I describing the Israelites? Or us? I think we know the answer is both. Life is full of lament. I want this psalm to teach us how to lament well. We're going to look at Psalm 13 in two sections and to build a roadmap of lament, and then talk briefly about what faithful lamenting might look like in our daily lives. So let's, let's look at Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We have all expressed these words to God at some time or another, perhaps with different words and perhaps not really to God, but crying out in frustration and pain to a nebulous higher power that somehow must be able to change our circumstances. These are words of lament. But what exactly is lament? I quoted to you what the dictionary tells us, but what does the Bible tell us? God gives us the language of lament as a gift to help us describe and process how to keep trusting God and looking to Jesus when the bottom of life is falling out. Lament in these two verses looks like turning to God with your sorrows and grumbles and complaints, turning to God and complaining, not inwardly to yourself or outwardly to your friends and family, but upward to God and bringing him your sorrow and complaints. Now, my family took a lot of road trips when I was young. And after our first one, my dad wised up and made a list of forbidden words and phrases for any future road trips. And among them was, 
are we there yet? My sister and I, and I'd like to think it was mostly my sister, would voice this whiny complaint even just 20 minutes out of the driveway at the start of an eight-hour car ride. We are all familiar with that internal whine of, are we there yet? And that is essentially what the psalmist is saying here as well. Are we there yet, God? How long will this take? Have you forgotten us? When is the next rest stop? I have to go to the bathroom. I'm hungry. I have needs. Have you forgotten them? Have you forgotten me? In just two verses, he asks how long four times. I imagine in the last few weeks of quarantine or social distancing, the question of how long has surfaced often. The idea of being a complainer doesn't always feel very holy, but there's language in the Bible for how to take our complaints to the Lord and to tell him, this is how I'm feeling. This is different than the complaining that I do when my family is making me late or when I feel hungry yet know that dinner's around the corner. These complaints are about voicing the reality between what is and what should be. This is righteous complaining. And this is central to lament. It is Christian because we believe in God's promises. Life often doesn't fit what we know to be true. That though we believe in God's promises, life often doesn't fit with what we know to be true. I know that you are God, but this is really hard, is what lament says. I know that you are God, but this is really hard. I know that you promised to be near me, but I don't feel you here. How is this possible? How did this happen? Where are you? How long? These are the questions and holy complaints of lament. To pray a lament prayer is one of the most faith-filled things we can do. If you've ever walked through a season of sorrow and you've asked something of the Lord, and he said, no, or wait, it is really hard. We're tempted to give him the silent treatment, and I suspect many of us have. Maybe not altogether, but we have decided that there are certain topics or requests of God that are just too painful to keep bringing to him. Lament, however, doesn't protect or preserve God from the grumbling and pain of our hearts. Look at the psalmist's words. The pain and the longing and the weariness of his asking and pleading is so clear in those first two verses of this psalm. Who knows how long he's been asking for deliverance, but we can feel sure that this is not the first time. Lament calls us to keep talking to God about our pain instead of allowing pain to become a pit that we're stuck in. Does the psalmist in verse 1 really believe that God has forgotten him? No, we know that that isn't true from the second half of the psalm, but also because the very fact that he's crying out to the Lord tells us that the Lord is wor the worthy and right recipient of his sorrow. So he knows in his mind the Lord hasn't truly forgotten him. But there are things in the Bible that you know are true, but they don't feel true in the moment. And the question is, what do you do when that happens? And the answer this psalm gives us is, you talk to God about it. God can handle your heartfelt complaints so that you can be honest. Even Jesus complained in the holiest of ways hanging on the cross. God, my God, why have you forsaken me? His soul cries out, quoting Psalm 22. Complaint, the psalm reminds us, is when we tell God about our sorrows and it ends up moving us closer towards him and towards the next stage in the process of lament, which is to ask and trust. So let's look at verses 3 through 6 together now. They read, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, 
I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here the psalmist moves from turning to God with his sorrow and complaints, and he takes the next step in the journey of lament, which is to ask. The process of sharing his pain with God in verses 1 and 2 renews his relationship and reminds him that this is a God who, despite all that is wrong, is still listening to him and whose promises have not changed. So he and we should feel safe taking the next step, which is to ask for God's help. We can, no- we can notice that nothing about his circumstances have changed between verses 2 and 3. Presumably, he is still waiting and longing and full of sorrow. But now he can ask for God's help even when still in pain, because his turning towards, towards God with his complaints has renewed a right relationship between himself and his Creator. Asking is how we call the promises of God to account. We ask him to do what he promises to do. We ask him to be good and merciful and just and to listen, not because he needs reminding about his own character, but because we do. We release our control of the timing, but we ask for him to move and help and be true to his word. And when we ask, we are reminding ourselves that these promises are really the things that we believe. We are pulling God's promises into our world, off the pages of scripture and into our very messy lives. Often our requests of God will be for things that he has already promised to give us. We can see that the psalmist asks to be considered, remembered, protected, and delivered from enemies. These are all things God has promised to his people again and again throughout the pages of scripture and years of history. They are not new or even unique to the psalmist, but that doesn't diminish the asking. Just as in my commitment as a parent, I have already promised to feed my children, It doesn't mean that every night, and often in the middle of the night, they aren't going to remind me that they're hungry and wonder if I'll feed them and ask for food, even if they can already see me cooking in the kitchen or unpacking groceries. Their asking reflects the relationship we have as provider and receiver and reminds them to trust once again that they will be fed. Asking leads us to trust, and if you don't end in trust, then your lament is just human sadness. True lament ends in trusting that God is still God. Every lament has a pivot with words like and or but or even so. It's the turning point in the journey of lament where trust and hope begin to overshadow the sorrow. You can find this pattern all throughout scripture where the focus changes from grief and hardship to renewed hope and trust. The psalmist makes this very clear when he says in verse 5, but... I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Lament turns us, from, turns us from sorrow to a place of worship where we choose to trust, to live faithfully in the tension of pain beyond belief and divine sovereignty beyond comprehension. Trust is actively waiting for God to move. It is putting my confidence in God's ability to be God. So lament is a painful prayer that leads us to trust. It is a statement to God, not just an emotion. It is not denial or despair. It is taking our sorrows to God and talking to him when life doesn't make sense. But lament is not an end in itself. It creates a divine liturgy that provides a pathway to trust. It has a destination. 
Lament is not a pit to wallow in, but it's designed to lead us to a reaffirmation of God's sovereignty and a re-anchoring of our hearts to know what is true, even when it doesn't feel true. The pattern of lament that we see in this psalm follows these steps of turning towards God with our complaining and then asking and trusting. We know the one who makes all wrongs right and what happens in the end. And so it seems a Christian should be the ones that master the language of lament for these in-between times. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. And the reason for that is because lament is a prayer that people offer to a sovereign God when what they know to be true about the goodness of God and the coming of Jesus and justice just doesn't fit with what we see around us. And the coming of God's promises seem delayed or even lost. And so I want us to end looking at our own lives and the lives of those around us in your home, on your street, in the city and nation and world, and ask yourself, what do I lament? Or perhaps, what should I lament? What do I see and experience that plunges me into the tension of acknowledging that life is hard, but God is still God? What sorrow or sin have you stopped bringing to God, either out of defiance or exhaustion? What wrong seems too big? One obvious answer to these questions this week is the coronavirus. And yes, it is good and right to have sorrow over a terrible illness that has spread quickly. But let's dig a little deeper. A few weeks ago, the public sentiment was one of worry, preparation, and expectation, or even excitement, but not the good kind, kind of like before a hurricane. People were buying groceries and gearing up to have children at home for a while, but normal life hadn't really changed yet. As a society, I think this last week we've moved from a place of preparation and expectation to something that looks more like grief. Grief over the realization that life looks really different right now. Important events like weddings and birthdays and graduations have been canceled. Jobs have been lost. Hobbies and joyful activities stopped. Income has gone down. Friendships are missed. Travel plans canceled. The ability to live and process life in person with others and the way, the way that we were created to do is gone, or at least very changed. We've realized that despite all our great technology to do things like a church online or meetings on the phone and work remotely, that it just isn't the same. And friends, it's okay to grieve that. This is not how we were created to live. When I think about what causes me particular sorrow in this season, I think about how domestic violence and child abuse has increased due to quarantine regulations. I think about kids who don't have the family or technology resources to do school from home. I think about the racism that has surfaced to blame this virus on Asian Americans and those from China. I think about while it's true that our physical humanity makes us all vulnerable to getting sick, our economic and racial inequalities make illness or even just the threat of illness much worse for some than for others. I think about the conversations doctors may have about which lives are most valuable to save should hospital resources run short. Maybe some of these are sorrows you share. The list could be much longer, I'm sure. This psalm teaches us how to turn our grief into lament. We turn to God and complain and then ask and trust. One of the helpful things that lament does is that it tunes our hearts to the brokenness of the world and the brokenness, insi brokenness inside of us. We proclaim confidence in God's story over the crumbles and disappointments and grief of the world. 
It gives us language to communicate that brokenness, that brokenness is in front of us. And it allows us to speak into the brokenness of, our, brokenness of ourselves and also of those around us. Your friends and family and neighbors are torn apart by the brokenness of the world. In this season, perhaps especially, but truly in every season. They and we don't want easy platitudes that gloss over the true sorrows of the world and simple promises that things will get better. Lament is how we help the world know that Christians have a language for how to acknowledge the brokenness of the world and to still live with honest hope. If you have a friend who is grieving, lament teaches you not to step in with cheerfulness in the midst of their grief, but to go alongside them and lament with them. Call them out of sadness and into lament. In the wake of national tragedies these last few years, the phrase thoughts and prayers surfaced, first as a meaningful and safe response, but its repetition and the lack of specificity or grounding in this process of lament has caused it now to leave a bad taste in many people's mouths. It sounds trite. So don't offer thoughts and prayers, or at least don't stop there when you run smack into the grief of the world. Offer lament, cry out, turn to God, complain, ask, and finally trust. Ground your grief in a process that keeps you out of the pit of despair and also off the safe but meaningless shore of thoughts and prayers. I think that Christians could serve their communities by helping people interpret our world of sorrow through the lens of God's goodness if we learn the language of lament. Lament is the language that helps the culture to say, we know the problem and the king. And Lent is the perfect space in which to practice lament, to resurrect old wounds that have never healed, hidden sin, sorrow, and disappointment, and to walk with them towards the cross. I want to encourage you to practice praying lament prayers. Be specific and write or speak out your complaints to God. How long, O Lord, fill in the blank. It will either help them to feel small and perhaps less powerful, or give them weight and rightful importance. Bring the sorrow of the world to God and end with hope and trust in Jesus. Enter into the space of people's brokenness. Speak into what is wrong in the world and demonstrate that Jesus has an answer for this. If we don't have sorrow, then the hope we give people is not complete, maybe even shallow. Lament is important to make our message of hope and joy complete. Psalm 13 shows us how we talk to God when it seems that life has fallen apart. The world needs good lamenters, especially now. We won't need the language of lament in the new heavens and the new earth, but God knows that we need it now. Amen.